Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. It's time for us to be blessed now as I invite our guest speaker. So I'm delighted to introduce Jonathan Conrath. He's founder and director of Mission 24. And Rob Cully attended um, Jonathan's mission school. That was the birth of our evangelism on the street. And it's been awesome. It's been the most exciting thing that I've done. Well, Jonathan is a great man of God. But he isn't a great man of God because he has an international ministry. He isn't a great man of God because he's written books, because he trains and equips um, people. He isn't a great man of God because he appears on the radio. He's a great man of God, first and foremost, because he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus, and on top of that, he knows who Jesus is, and he knows what Jesus did for him. And what makes him great is that he wants us to know that too. He wants us to know Jesus. He wants us to know what Jesus did for us because, here's the exciting bit, that is what will make us great. Okay, so I'm really excited. Have ears to hear. I I just got a picture of um, God throwing out hand grenades, right? So a hand grenade would normally go blow you up. But some of these words that Jonathan's going to share is going to hit you like a hand grenade, but instead of blowing you up, it's going to empower you. And it's going to release you because this is a significant day in our church calendar, because we're going to hear some of the heart of God for us. So keep your ears wide open and your hearts open to receive and catch those grenades as they come winging their way over to you. Okay, let's welcome a big clap for him. Well, good morning. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. It really is a pleasure. And a a great joy for me to have my wife with me here as well, Elaine. And uh, it's a joy. So uh, this is a very rare occasion, by the way. I travel about six, seven months of the year and have been doing that for, well, it'll be 35 years in January and uh, around the world, about 54 countries. And uh, so we've seen the Lord do lots of wonderful miracles and hundreds of thousands have come to know him, lots of churches planted. And it's all been a joy. All started when I was 17 years old. And uh, this is a very, very short, pricey, sensitive to time today, but... um, At 17 years old, Jesus appeared to me in a vision, and I saw him like I see you. And he called me to preach the gospel, and that's what I do what I do. And, uh, you know, I can remember standing in my school at a time, any of you have been in a school like this where, uh, you know, taking my A-levels, and they asked those of us in in the hall who were going on to employment to go to one side, and those going into university to go on the other. And I was left standing in the middle, wondering where I fitted. Uh, the church I went to didn't have anybody in professional sort of paid ministry. So I didn't really understand where I fitted. So I'm, I, I was standing there with a great sense of God's call in my heart. 
um, but not feeling to go to university or to go into, into paid employment. And so I'm standing there and my teacher shouted at me as they had a tendency to do in my school and, uh, and said, Conrad, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to preach the gospel, sir. He said, you're going to what? <laughs> I said, I'm going to preach the gospel. I've never forgotten his response. He said, um, I think you need to come to the careers advice office. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I went back there, you know, and he fed all my details into a computer that it spewed out its ideas for my life. And, uh, but nonetheless, you know, uh, I just looked at all of that and then we agreed that we, we would see each other the next morning. Well, the thing about it is, is that that night I got down on my knees before going to sleep. I said, Lord, would you speak to me in a way that's unmistakably clear? This is a big decision. I've learned over the years that it's a good prayer to pray when you have a decision that involves a lot of emotion. It's to say, Lord, would you speak to me in a way that's unmistakably clear? And uh, I said, this man, uh, you know, I don't want to seem to be arrogant. He's, he's trying to help me, but I need to know. And actually, I went off to sleep. I didn't expect to experience what I experienced. But I, the moment I fell asleep, I was in a vision. And I was standing at the foot of the cross. And I saw the Lord on the cross. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably were thinking, well, what's he doing on the cross? He's risen from the dead. But he was just getting a point over to me. And I looked at him, and I saw him on the cross. And he kept saying these words, healing and salvation must be preached from my cross. Healing and salvation must be preached from my cross. Then suddenly the vision changed what seemed to be halfway through the night. I'm standing face to face with the Lord and he said, now look and see who's on the cross. And I turned and saw myself and I woke up and, uh, and it was morning and I couldn't talk for 40 minutes, polaxed by this encounter with Jesus. And uh, although obviously I didn't see it, I felt imprints on my hand and my feet and I woke up knowing two things. One was that Jesus had called me to preach the gospel, the whole gospel, including healing and, and freedom and all of those things, um, but also that there was a price to pay. And in the immediate, it meant I couldn't take on the family business, but I needed to go instead and, and live by faith and preach the gospel. And, uh, and in the longer term, I don't know what that means, but I know that it has meant over the last, well, 35 years by January, we've lived by faith and trusted God. And, uh, and it's been such a privilege. Sometimes preaching to some very large crowds. I think the largest was 300,000. And other times it's been just sitting down with a, a beggar on a street corner. Or, you know, sharing the love of Christ with people everywhere. Because God loves people. People matter to God. You matter to God. Whether you know him yet. Whether you even believe in him yet. He loves you. And I want you to know that he's here for you today. He is a God of miracles. And when I talk about miracles, I, I want to begin, I want to speak to you today about the power of the cross. It's where it all flows from. And today, very much in the church in the UK and the days in which we're living, uh, you know, there is a great, there is a restoration taking place. There's a great need and a great restoration. Uh, in many ways, the, both the statistics say this, and I would say to you that in terms of our own teams, we've got a number of teams around the country uh, regularly hitting the streets and sharing the gospel as well as the missions that I lead uh, around the country and overseas. I would say that in the UK today, there is a greater hunger for the gospel in the United Kingdom than I have seen in the whole of my lifetime. So it is, it's, it's remarkable openness. The latest Talking Jesus survey that's taken every seven years in the UK came back with saying that uh, you know, on average, one in every five people in the UK today are prepared to stop and have a meaningful conversation about Jesus and to carry on the conversation. However, in this last year, 
which they've just completed it two months ago. Um, so in the last seven years, that has jumped to one in every three. So, and, and there are other surveys that are out there that was done by, you know, by the Archbishop of Canterbury and things like that, that, that were just, even just before the pandemic, um, that without boring you with all the details, it tells us there are at least 16 million people in our country right now who are ready to give their lives to Christ. And you wonder why then there aren't more coming to the Lord. Now there are many coming to Jesus in our country and there are many miracles taking place. Can I just say that? You know, we've seen the Lord do many miracles of healing in this country. We've seen the dead raised in this country and overseas. So let me tell you, it's the same stuff that happens here as happens everywhere else. It really is. It's just as if you go to Africa or South America or Asia and you're preaching to 10,000 and 10% get healed. Well, that's 1,000 healings. Sounds very impressive. If you're in England and it's 100 people and 10% get healed, it's 10. doesn't sound so impressive, but it's the same percentage. <laughs> okay. So let's just, let's not down what God is doing in our nation. Because God is doing great stuff in our nation. And the big issue is this really, and, and all the statistics say it in the surveys, and all of us who are out there you know, sharing the gospel experience it. The issue is not with the world. The issue is with the church being willing to go out there. Being confident in the gospel and sharing his love and grace with other people. Now if you'll do it, let me tell you, God goes with you. Amen. So look, before I get into what I want to preach to you today, um, you know, this is just, a, this is the lead in, and we're going to look at the power of the cross. But uh, before we do that, conscious of time here, I want to minister healing right at the beginning of my message. Now, the fact is, I believe that healing belongs to us as believers, and therefore we can lay hands on the sick and expect healing to take place. However, there's a, there's a, a whole variety of ways that Jesus heals, and one of the ways he heals is by the gifts of the Spirit. And then the gifts of the Spirit, very often those gifts, they work together. And words of knowledge release special faith in people that releases gifts of healing. So what we're going to do is, um, while we're just in the worship, I took a moment in my heart to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, what are you up to here this morning in terms of healing? So the thing is, I'm just going to give out some of, the, some of the words that he gave to me. And if this is you, I want you to stand up as I speak the words. Now, some of them uh, are a little bit personal. And so when they're a little bit personal, it doesn't bother me at all. There's about 15, some 12 or 15 words here. So let me say, if it's a personal one, it's an at the front of the list. Don't be afraid to stand at the bottom of the list. So nobody associates you with the personal one. All right. Uh, but we're just going to pray for you. Okay. And believe God together for miracles. Amen. So let's just do that together. Here are some now. The first one, actually, I received in prayer this morning. There's somebody here who has a stomach digestive condition that actually it's pretty, this was an interesting thing to hear for me, um, but it's either that it is genuinely pretty serious or that you think it's pretty serious, but actually the anxiety is affecting your system. So it's one of the two, but you are here and you need to be healed. All right, the Lord loves you. He's going to heal. Somebody who had a car accident fairly recently, within recent months, it actually has affected your, uh, your body with the whiplash um, type stuff. And so there's a bit of trauma that's happened around that for you, but somebody who's had a car accident. Okay. Uh, somebody who uh, of more recent times has had some bleeding from the bowel. Uh, understandably a bit concerned about that. Some of the condition, your left eye, uh, sort of pressure behind into the side uh, with the left eye. Lord wants to heal it. Um, sinus issues. 
Left knee cartilage issue. I believe it's a sports injury from the past, but actually you've got a cartilage issue in there. Some with a real tightness in the lungs. Actually, felt like with several people, tightness in the lungs. Some with gallbladder inflammation. You've had some uh, the whole issue of stones there, but the Lord wants to heal you. Some with an enlarged prostate. And somebody actually who over recent months, actually the last six months, has suffered off and on with depression and even at points suicidal thoughts. Now, look, if you are in any of that group, would you stand to your feet? Okay. Now, what I'm going to ask us to do, church, okay? There is a wonderful life flow of the Holy Spirit that flows through his body called healing. Because Christ the healer is in us. The same Jesus who's in me or any Anyone that you could mention that God has ever used in, in miracles, let me say to you, he's in you just the same. Christ the healer is in you. So church, I want you to get up and find someone around you. I want you to go and lay a hand on them. I'm going to pray for them from the front here, but I want you also just to go and lay a hand on them. Jesus made this amazing promise, didn't he? That if we as believers lay hands on the sick in his name, they will recover. Sometimes that recovery is instant. Other times it's progressive, but the miracle starts the moment hands are laid on. Let's believe it. So right now, just go and find someone. People around you, just stand up. Come on church, let's get busy. Just find somebody and lay a hand on them. Don't be afraid to ask them what it is they're responding to so that you can speak to the healing. Guys, uh, can I just say this just before we start praying? Can I just say this? Please listen in now. All right. Look, um, some of my friends in the vineyard say to me, that when they learned to speak to conditions and command conditions to be healed, rather than just pray for them, their results in terms of healing jumped from 30% to 60% success rate overnight. Now that's not surprising because that's how Jesus did it. It's how the disciples did it. They spoke to the conditions and commanded them to be healed in the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We're going to welcome the Holy Spirit's presence on them. And we're going to take a moment, ask them what's wrong, what they need healing from. And then you're going to lay hands on them. If it's a personal area, obviously just let's put a hand on their shoulder or on their arm or something. But if it's uh, something else that's okay to put a hand on, just ask permission. And then rest the hand on where the problem is. And then give a bit of time for the Holy Spirit's presence and power to manifest on them. Speak to it to command it to be healed. And then encourage them to do something they couldn't do before. All right? Okay. That's what we're going to I'm just going to pray now. And as I start to pray, you start to pray. Okay, and let's go for it. Father, we just thank you for your presence here in this place this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you are the Lord, our healer. And so in the mighty name of Jesus Christ now, I rebuke these infirmities in Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you. Let the power of God flow through everyone who's receiving prayer for healing today in the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray for that stomach digestive system to be totally healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed right now. I pray for that person, Lord God, or people who suffered, Lord, with whiplash, that car accident, that trauma, maybe even anxiety about driving. Lord, let it be gone in the name of Jesus right now. Be totally and completely healed. Let the vertebrae come into alignment and be made whole in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Father, I pray for that bleeding from the bowel. Let it be totally healed now in the name of Jesus and all the bleeding to cease in Jesus' name. Father God, I speak to the source of that pressure behind and to the side in that left eye. I command it to be healed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and any cataract to dissolve in Jesus' name. Be healed and restored. Father, let the source of the pressure be healed now in Jesus' name. Let the sinus issues right now, let the sinuses clear and be made whole in Jesus' name. Father, that left knee, that cartilage issue, that sports injury, be made whole. Any arthritis or rheumatism, be healed in Jesus' name right now. Father, we thank you for miracles in the name of Jesus. Tightness in the lungs, any pneumonia, any COVID, we rebuke it and command it to go. Let the breath of God come into your lungs. Breathe freely and wholly in Jesus' name right now. Let that infirmity go in Jesus' name. Be healed. I speak peace and healing and your breath into those lungs, Lord. Father, I pray those gallbladder, that gallbladder inflammation. Lord, let it, all of the trauma to that gallbladder be gone. Let the inflammation go down. Gallbladder disease be healed and stones dissolve in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, for that prostate, that enlargement. Father, for the prostate to come down to a normal size now. In the name of Jesus, if there be any cancer, that it be healed in Jesus' name right now. Every cancer cell to die and leave and be replaced with healthy cells in the name of Jesus right now. Depression and suicidal thoughts cease and leave and go. Lift off in Jesus' name right now. Father, let them be replaced with thoughts of hope and life and purpose in Jesus' name. Flood every heart here with your love. Flood every heart here with your peace and your joy. Father, we thank you. And for those who are watching online, let your love flood their hearts. Let your peace and your joy fill them. Let your healing flow through their bodies, through their minds and emotions. I speak peace and well-being and wholeness to you. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. Father, we thank you for miracles amongst us, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, let's give him praise. Let's give him thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise your wonderful name. Guys, I want to encourage you to do something. To, if you had a back problem or an ear, so just move about a bit. If you couldn't see so well, give a focus with your eyes. Focus on something. All right. Now, if you know already in your body that God has done something for you, you're already feeling better. You know that at least 60% or more better than when you started to be prayed for. Just do this. Just do this. Okay, look around here. Look around. This is good for, for accountability back there as well. That's wonderful. Come on, let's give him thanks. That's great. And other healings will continue. We give you praise, Lord. Okay. Well, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in a moment. But before we do that, I just, I just want to pray. And then we're going to kick off into this message. This is going to be the fastest version of this message I've ever done. I'm watching that clock. I haven't, I haven't quite got Joshua's anointing to make time stand still yet. Here we go. <laughs> All right, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, you are the reason we're here. We thank you for saving us. Lord, for forgiving our sins, for transforming our lives. 
Lord, we welcome your presence amongst us in this place today. And Father, I just pray that as I share your word, let faith rise. Thank you that when the word comes, faith always comes when the word comes as we receive it. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue just to touch us throughout this morning. Lord, bring great joy and encouragement to every heart. And I pray most of all, Lord, don't let one person, Lord, under the sound of my voice be lost. Don't let one leave this place without the joy and forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. Let everyone know the joy of relationship with you. Father, we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's hard to believe it, but uh, actually this week I turned 54. Can you believe that? You're all supposed to say, no, I can't believe that. But, but anyway, I have. I've turned 54. And uh, <laughs> so, bless you. Well, the thing about it is this, is that, you know, there was a time in my life, believe it or not, when I was a youth worker. You know, I'm, I'm not young enough and cool enough yet to be a youth worker anymore. But I was a youth worker in those days when I first started out in the ministry. And so sometimes I used to go into schools and I, and, uh, you know, and, and particularly I would go into secondary schools primarily. And I remember when I used to go into the A-level um, times and, and some of the A-level classes and I was saying, I'd like to get to know the kids. And so I would ask them a question when I get in there. So guys, it's great to be with you today. Great to get to know you a little bit. So before I actually talk to you today about what I'm here to share with you, um, let's just ask a few questions and find out a bit about where you guys are at. So uh, I would just uh, ask them, look, guys, what are you going to do when you leave school? And there'd always be one chap would be, uh, you know, fairly uh, up for it, up for a challenge. And he'd stick his hand up. I said, okay, so tell me, what are you going to do when you leave school? He said, well, actually, I, he said, I, I'm, I'm going to do really well at my A-levels and I'm planning to go to Oxford and I'm going to get myself a first, you know, a top top class degree. I said, fantastic. In what? And then he would tell me. I said, that's brilliant. And what then? Well, I'm going to go to the city, meaning London, and I'm going to make a pile of money. And uh, I said, that's great. And, and what then? Well, I'm going to get myself a big house. I'm going to get, my, get myself a Ferrari. I said, brilliant. And uh, what then? Well, I'm going to find myself the most gorgeous girl I can, and we're going to get married. I said, oh, great. And what then? Well, uh, you know, well, I guess we'll have kids, and we'll have all the fun of raising them, and everything. I said, great. And what then? Well, I, I guess they'll leave home and we'll have a, an empty nest. I said, okay, and what then? Well, I, I, I guess I'll retire. And what then? Well, I guess we'll travel around the world, you know, doing cruises and things. And I said, okay, fab. And what then? Well, I, I, guess, uh, I guess I'll die. And what then? And then the room would go very quiet. I said, guys, can I just ask for a minute? What's all this really all about? You see, the thing is, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul, what has it profited you? Of so many people's lives, there is so much emptiness. Everything good in this life comes from God. But if you take God out of the picture, it's like having a beautiful brand new car, but no fuel in the, you know, actually in the engine or a, or a Coke tin, but it's empty. And you just hear that kind of rattling around that you get sometimes. You get a few stones inside. It all seems very empty without him. Relationship with God is what life is really all about. And the message of the cross, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul the Apostle, who was once, as we know, a great persecutor of the church, then had an encounter with the risen Christ. And he ends up becoming perhaps the greatest apostle next to Jesus, of course. In the history of the church. 
And he says these words to a group of people in Corinth where he started the church there. And he says this, for the message of the cross is the power of God. The message in itself carries the power of God. In another passage in Romans 1 verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to save. And in the literal Greek in which the New Testament was written, it says to save, to heal, to deliver and to make whole, to free from apprehension and fear everyone who believes it. Let me just say to you, Believers only become ashamed of the gospel when they have lost sight of its power. And I want to encourage you today, the gospel is the power of God. The message about the cross, about what happened at the cross, about who Jesus is and what he did for us there, is the power of God. In, the, in its final analysis, it is the demonstration of God's power over our sin, over death over the consequences of sin. Everything, you know, God created this world beautiful and good. There was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no fear. There was no shame. There was no suffering. All of that came into the world through man's sin and rebellion against God. And still today, people experience in their lives consequences. People like to believe that man is a free will agent. Well, yes and no. Man is a free will agent. When you make a you have the ability to make your own choices and you live with the consequences of those choices. But the consequences demonstrate that man isn't a totally free will agent. Because actually, when we make the free will choice to go our own way, we start to experience consequences that have been set by the king. But when we choose to go God's way, then we experience blessings that accompany living the king's way. Amen. So there are boundaries in life, aren't there? I hope we're all old enough and wise enough already to have experienced there are consequences to our actions. When I was a young man starting off in ministry, they always used to say, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. And maybe for some of us, we're living with consequences of choices that we've made over many years. But let me say to us today that everything can change at the cross. The cross is the place of divine exchange. And so we, we see in 1 Corinthians 1, I'm going to read it to us right here. And we're going to the heart and the hub of this message because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. For the message of the cross, I'm going to put some emphasis on this so we really get the heart of it. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, the way we relate to our response to the message of the cross tells us the way that our life is traveling, the destination we're going towards, to perish or to be saved. Say out or amen, but it's true. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe or the lawyer? Where is the disputer or philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Amen. You know, why is the message of the gospel, why, why is it a stumbling block to the Jews? I'll tell you why. It's because the Jews were very confident in their own self-righteousness. And can I just say at the moment, this is a really important issue to lie. From time to time, I get to preach in prisons. I'm always pleased when they let me out again. But, um, but nonetheless, I, I have to say this to you, that actually my experience of preaching in prisons all over the world is that they are one of the easiest environments to preach in. They're very easy to preach in. Number one, because everybody knows they've done something wrong. <laughs> Number two, everyone wants to be pardoned, to be forgiven. And of course, everyone wants to be set free. <laughs> so it's an easy place to preach. The hardest people to preach to are the, are the self-righteous. The people who think that they don't need forgiveness. Now, actually, that's why the Bible talks about law and grace. Truth and grace. We have to face the truth of God's righteousness before we can receive the gift of his grace that gives us forgiveness and his own righteousness as a grace gift. Now, years ago, down Sutton High Street in Surrey, that's where I was, where I was raised. Now, Sutton is an interesting place because at the top part of Sutton, you have uh, one of the poorest housing estates in the whole of London, the Rose Hill Estate. And at the other end, at the other top of Sutton High Street, you've got um, more, almost more millionaires than anywhere else in the country. And they all meet in the center. <laughs> and so it's a bit of an odd place. And I can remember, you know, sometimes I would preach the gospel down there. And I was working with a church, a New Frontiers church, down, right down there in the, at the bottom of Sutton. And everybody was mingling around. I'll never forget because I just finished leading a guy to the Lord from the top end uh, that was from the Rose Hill estate, and he was a drug addict. And I'd just been leading him to Christ. Now he was, you know, he to be honest with you, he was wearing a he was wearing clothes that were very dirty, and he was pouring his heart out, tears pouring down. There's snot everywhere. I don't mean to be violent, I'm just telling you the way it was. And it's all over my shirt, and that was the end of that shirt. But anyway. You know, and I'm holding him as he's sobbing and he's giving his life to Christ. And his whole face changes as he encounters the forgiveness and the love of God. His eyes become bright. His face is, is shining. And I can introduce him to the pastor there. And that's wonderful. But all the time that I've been ministering to him, to the corner of my eye, I see a man that I'm going to call Mr. Armani. He's a very, very smart dressed gentleman, a businessman. And he's watching me from the side and he's looking intensely at me. And I can see a, a bit of red flushing coming up from his neck. He's getting more and more angry with me. So the moment I finished with this uh, young guy and I handed him to the pastor, suddenly this, this gentleman, he steps forward, he puts his hand out and says, Jonathan, very firmly like that. I kind of inwardly braced myself for what was about to come because the tone of his voice told me he wasn't particularly pleased with me. He said to me, I've been listening to you preach. I said, oh good, I, I hope it's been a blessing to you, sir. He looked at me and he said, I want you to know that I'm a very good man. I thought it was a strange way to start a conversation. But then he says to me, um, I want you to know, he said, that I have a great job. I have a wonderful wife and children. He said, um, I earn plenty of money. He said, and uh, I pay my taxes. He said, I'm a good man. I live well. I don't need God. I don't need uh, Jesus. And I certainly don't need any forgiveness. I thought, Wow. I just said to him, sir, I really don't want to take up any of your time. You're obviously a very busy man and don't feel that I have anything to offer you. But can I just shake your hand again? It's very rare I meet a perfect man. I said, uh, you know, 
and I shook his hand for it, looked him in the eye, and I just said, uh, in fact, the last one I met was Jesus Christ. But anyway, that's another point. Uh, I said, but actually, just before you go, I, I said, um, you know, it's a big surprise to a lot of people that, uh, that actually the laws of God in the Bible weren't given to make us holy. They were actually given to expose our need of God and the fact we can't save ourselves. So actually, that they expose our need of him. So it's a bit like looking in a mirror, really. And so uh, until we come to God, realize we can't save ourselves, and then we cry out to Jesus to help us, and he saves us. So look, here's the point. Just before you go, I know you're a busy guy. I don't use up your time, but why don't we take a little look in the mirror for a moment? Why don't we just forget the first two commandments? Because nobody does that perfectly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So I said, no one does that perfectly, which means everybody sins every day, and everybody needs forgiveness. So I said, let's just move on, though. Here's, let's try this one, first of all. The law of God says you shall not murder. So you ever murdered anyone, sir? He said, I want you to know I've never murdered anybody. I said, I'm so pleased to hear it. I, uh, I said, but Jesus goes deeper, you see, and he says that if you hate someone, you've murdered them already. Can I ask you, sir, have you ever hated anybody? Maybe that business partner who diddled you or maybe even in that revenue or who knows? I said, maybe somebody who cut you up as you went round a you know, roundabout or something and something slipped out of your mouth. Anything like that ever happened, sir? He looked at me like that. Well, um, well, we'll get, 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 get. All right, I said, look, I don't want to burden you or anything. I said, let's just move on. Shall we? I said, well, the Lord God says you should not commit adultery. I said, uh, have you ever committed adultery, sir? He said, I want you to know I've always been faithful to my wife. I said, so pleased to hear that, sir. I said, but Jesus goes a bit deeper and says, if you look with lust at a woman uh, in your heart, you've already committed adultery, which probably means every man in the world has at some point or another. I said, have you ever, ever looked at a woman with lust? He looked at me and said, well, 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 haven't we all? I said, right, okay, well, let's just move on, shall we? I said, just one last one. I said, the law of God says the law will not hold guiltless the man who takes his name in vain. Have you ever said, oh, my? Right, I said, look, sir, I, you know, I, I don't want to burn you or anything, but let's just quickly reround the conversation. So we started off by saying, with you telling me, actually, you're a very good man, that, uh, that you've got a great job, a great wife, and basically that uh, you don't need God, you don't need Jesus, and you certainly don't need any forgiveness. Basically, you're a perfect man. But by the end of our conversation, we found ourselves in a place where you have just freely admitted that actually you're a blasphemous, adulterous murderer. I said, don't you think by now that maybe you need a bit of grace, a bit of forgiveness? Somebody once used this illustration that I think is really good. Just imagine you have two swimmers, and both of them want to cross over the channel to France. And one of them can only swim 100 meters, and the other one can swim, you know, three, four miles. The fact about it is, you know, they both jump in to go start swimming, and the one who can do three, four miles, he's really confident. And the other one who's a hundred, can only do 100 meters. It's really not very confident at all. But they both jump in nonetheless. They start, they start swimming along and 100 meters in, and one of them goes, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. They go to the bottom. And the other one manages two, three miles and then also gurgle, gurgle, gurgle because the channel is about 26 miles. Despite the differences in their abilities, neither of them had the capacity to bridge the gap and to get to the other side. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a saviour, but thank God there is a saviour. Thank God because he came. Because Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, we can be reconciled to God. And this is the good news of the cross. It's such good news that Paul the Apostle in the later years writes in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, God forbid that I should boast. 
or glory except in the cross of Christ, by which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. The message of the cross changed Paul's identity, changed his purpose, changed what he was living for. Let me say to you today, Jesus is drawing near to you in his love. He's no longer on that cross. It speaks of a finished and a completed work. The last words he said as he let out his last breath on the cross were, it is finished. In the Greek language, just one word, tetelestai, which means it's completely complete, perfectly perfect, and evermore shall be. It's done. He paid the price in full for all of our sins. And the Bible says if you believe that and that he's risen from the dead and confessed Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. Thank God. So I'm just going to, in our closing minutes, I'm going to give you four things, four, reasons, four things that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. There's a lot more than this. But four things, just quickly. Are you ready? Number one, you'll find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. The Living Bible translation, I like this, says, God took all of our wickedness and poured it into Christ and took all Christ's goodness and poured it into us. First and foremost, it is, it is a legal declaration of no guilt. How amazing is that? Like standing before the court knowing that you've done something wrong and yet as you're just about to go down, suddenly the son of the judge comes in and says, Father, you know that we both love this gentleman or this lady. Let me pay their penalty as if I committed their crime and let them go free as if they had lived my perfect life. That's the gospel in legal terms. You and I today can be declared guiltless, blameless, without reproach before a holy God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He became our substitute. He died in our place. Well, all over the world, I've had the joy of leading, well, so far about 260,000 people to Jesus. And let me just say this to you, that in all those years of ministering to people, they are people from every walk of life. The general majority are just ordinary folks like you and me. But there have been people who stand out in my memory. I've had the joy of leading government leaders to the Lord. I've, had, I've led a few Islamic terrorists to the Lord. I've led quite a lot of IRA men to the Lord. Uh, you know, lots of people like this to, to Jesus. I've led prostitutes and, and pimps to the Lord and, and drug addicts and all of those kind of people. I can remember leading to the Lord a guy who was actually the head guy for anesthesia for the World Health Organization. Had the joy of leading him to Christ. Flying back from doing a conference in Denmark. And he's an Irishman actually. And uh, I noted that at first because he, he picked up his newspaper and it was the Dublin Times. And we got on the plane, we sat down together, and when I'm on a plane talking with someone, I like to look for an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And we're sitting next to them and I begin to talk to him. I said, oh, I said, you're, a, you're an Irishman. Are you going to be buying property in Dublin? He said, no, no, no. I said, I live there. I said, all right. And what's an Irishman doing in Denmark then? And he looks at me and he says, well, I'm, I'm doing a conference. I was speaking. I said, oh, really? I said, uh, what was that about? He said, that's about anesthesia. 
I said, that's interesting. I said, why were you speaking on that? He says, well, I'm the head of anesthesia for the World Health Organization. I said, wow, that's quite something. And he said, and what were you doing in Denmark? I said, I was speaking at the conference too. He said, really, what was that on? I said, miracles, healing, and faith. <laughs> he looked at me, he said, sorry, what? <laughs> I said, miracles, healing, and faith. And then uh, at that moment, I'll never forget, he just, he just looked at me for a moment, he smiled, he said, you know something, Jonathan? He said, um, he said, the fact that anybody comes out of anesthesia is a miracle in itself, but don't make it too public. <laughs> but, but anyway, the thing about it is, is, is that we chatted for a bit, and uh, I told him about some miracles. He told me about things that happened on operating theaters where he said they didn't even do the operation. But the surgeon, he said, had cut them open. He said, and then while, while they watched, something moved in the body, and the person was healed. And, he said, and then the surgeon just looks at them and says, none of us talks about this. And he said, they just, you know sew them up and send them back up. Later they discover that actually they're related to Christians and stuff like that who've been praying for them. In fact, he looked at me, he said, John, it's so common, it's no longer, he said, it's no longer a surprise. He said, it's a regular occurrence. He just said to me, there has to be a God. Anyway, we went on and suddenly the plane starts to come down to land, fasten your seats, ladies and gentlemen, and all that. Suddenly my heart starts going. And uh, it's not being worried about going down in the plane, it's because the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. Do you ever get that when the Spirit of God is prompting you? Uh, I start getting this prompting on the inside. You need to give the appeal. Give the appeal. He's saying this to me. So he's now hiding behind his Dublin Times. <laughs> so I leant over and I pulled the Times down a bit. <laughs> I said, you know what, sir? I said, it's been great to chat with you. He said, you too, John. I said, you know something? I said, uh, it'd be great to see you again sometime. He said, uh, absolutely, John. He said, it would. And then he just smiled for me and he said, and if not down here, maybe up there. I said, that would be great. And that was my doorway in. I said, there's just one problem. He said, what's that? I said, I'm not sure you're going to make it. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, the Bible says that if you believe in Christ, you'll be saved. But if you don't believe, you'll perish. There still is a hell, you know, and there's a heaven to gain. You don't want to end up in the wrong place. So I said, uh, he looked at me for a moment. He said, Jonathan, I know what you're saying is true. I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. He said, but if you would help me. He said, and, and do you know what? He said this to me, and this is the honest truth. I've had a lot of people say this to me over the years. This may surprise you. And, and a lot of them, wealthy businessmen sitting on an airplane. <laughs> I've had so many say this to me, and he was one of them. He said, I've waited all my life for someone to ask me that question. All my life. He said, I just don't know how to respond to him. He said, no one has ever asked me that question. And I said, look, if I prayed, I said, yes, I've got to ask you three questions. He said, go ahead. Do you believe Jesus is God's son? He said, I do. Do you believe he died for you on the cross? to pay the penalty for your sins. He said, I do. I said, here's the big one. Do you believe he was physically raised from the dead on the third day? He paused a moment and he said, I do. I said, good, you can be saved. Bow your head and close your eyes. Pray this prayer with me right now. And he prayed and he gave his life to Jesus. The tears flowed, the eyes. Man, I could tell you so many stories like this. But here's the thing is when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the full penalty for our sins so we could be born again. Have a new life. We know it's like when we're first born. Jesus said, unless in John 3, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're all born of water when we first come into this world. Our mother's waters break. We come into the world. But Jesus is talking about another birth. 
a spiritual birth on the inside where we're made brand new. New creations in Christ and the old is gone and the new has come. We're not saved by trying to observe a set of religious laws, but by the receiving of Christ's living presence, his new life into us. When we put our faith in him, he comes to live in us. It's a unique aspect of Christianity, of course. A Muslim would never say Muhammad lived in him. Allah lived in him, it'd be sacrilegious. A Buddhist would never claim Buddha is in him. But we can say Christ is in me, my certain hope of glory. So look, Jesus bore our sins that we may be made his righteousness. Number two, my time is up here, but I'm just going to say them to you. Number two, Jesus bore our sicknesses, our diseases, and our pains, and by his wounds we were healed. So that's what the Bible says. He bore our sicknesses. He carried away our diseases. Healing is the possession of the believer because of what Jesus did on the cross. My goodness, we've seen the Lord do so many miracles like that over the years. The blind have seen, the deaf have heard, cripples have walked, cancers have been healed, AIDS have been healed. With full medical evidence, full medical evidence. Perhaps one of the ones very personally was when my grandfather was healed of bowel cancer. And without going to all the detail, you have to know this about him. He was a regimental sergeant major in the British Army. He was not a, shall we say, he didn't suffer fools lightly. But he was totally healed. He was bleeding profusely from the bowel. He was a wealthy man, so they got him into, he got into um, St. Anthony's Private Hospital in North Cheam, Surrey, very quickly. They took x-rays. When the x-rays came back, they showed a totally shredded bowel. And this is Wednesday. They're going to have to get him in on Saturday morning to cut out a size, sizable chunk of his bowel. He's going to have to live with a colostomy for the rest of his life. But actually what happened is this. We took him to a fellow friend as a pastor, sometimes in family. It can be so close, it can affect faith. So we took him along to a friend, a pastor friend that we knew moved in miracles. He laid hands on him. And my granddad didn't feel anything. Now sometimes when you pray for you really feel the power of the Spirit go through you. But other times you may not feel anything. But look to the promise. Put your faith in his word. And this is what he, when we came out of there, my granddad said, what do I do now, John? I didn't feel anything. I said, granddad, now is the time to believe the promise. Hands have been laid on you. You need to start saying, Lord, thank you for healing me. I said, thanksgiving receives what prayer requests. So just start thanking him and praising him. And I said, now look, we have to be practical about this too. I said, if the bleeding stops, which is what we're believing for, I said, then you need to go back and demand another x-ray and don't let them cut you open. I said, however, if the bleeding doesn't stop, we're not believing for that. But if it doesn't stop, you've got to go through with it because it's your life. But let's believe God. Anyway, after 24 hours, no bleeding. 40 hours, no bleeding. He goes in, he sits down with a consultant who he knew personally. Wasn't a Christian. My granddad was by that stage. But... Uh, and he, only, he only got saved because a mate of his in the SAS, you know, got wonderfully born again. And, uh, and God knows how to reach people. Uh, my granddad respected his soldiering, so he heard his testimony and got saved. But my granddad goes back in there, and uh, being a very straight talker, he sat down with the consultant, and he says to him, I demand an x-ray. The consultant looked at him, he said, Roy, don't give me any of this God stuff. <laughs> he said, this is your life. And my granddad said to him, listen, I'm paying he says, to so send me down. He said, besides which, all the bleeding has stopped. Well, that impressed the consultant. When the results came back, the consultant said, this can't be right. They must have got a different man. They must have got a wrong man. I'm sending you down again, and this one's on us. 
But when the results came back, he held up the x-rays. The, the diagnosis one showed a shredded bowel, and the one after prayer showed a brand new bowel. The, the, consultant, the consultant said to him, he said to him, listen, you know that I'm not yet a Christian. He said, but I can tell you right now, there is nothing in medical science that can do that. You've had no medical intervention, and cancer doesn't do that. So he said, I can tell you, I still have to do the medical thing. I still have to see you once every six months for six years. He said, but I can tell you now, that is the hand of God, and you could put my name on that. And I can tell you something, it never came back. It's totally healed, totally healed. That's our Jesus. So thank God. As we start to wrap this up, let me just say to you that through the cross also, we can be delivered. We can be set free. We can know real freedom. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us out of the domain of darkness or the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. In him we are redeemed. We're delivered by his blood. By his blood. That was the price that was paid. Your life and mine can't be quantified in pounds and pence. But with the precious blood of the Son of God, you are valuable. Your life matters. Through the years, we've just seen so many people set free. Oh, I've been set free. We've all been set free. In one way or another, we've seen people set free from heroin addiction without side effects. Amazing how Jesus can do that. We've seen people delivered from alcoholism. And, and today, some of the worst addictions are pornography as well as weed and cocaine and Actually, they say the porn is worse than cocaine for the brain. So all of these things, Jesus sets captives free. And he can set you free today. And let me say, I often find that a bondage is built on a frustration. I find a lot of people who have gone through abuse and that kind of stuff have been deeply hurt or wounded in life in one way or another. But very often the heart instinctively starts looking for comfort. It's just in our nature. But we end up looking for comfort in the wrong places. And that brings bondage. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And he will draw near. And if you'll bring things to the light instead of going into the darkness. Isn't it crazy that we kind of think, oh, I'm so embarrassed by that. I would never tell anybody because of shame. But the more you go into that place, the more bondage comes. But when you bring it to the light where the blood cleanses, there can be healing and release. I want to encourage you to do that because there's freedom in Christ for you today. Last of all, I want to say the fact is that through the cross, and let's wrap up with this verse. In, it's found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And this is what it says. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I think perhaps the greatest fear of all is the fear of death. And behind it, the fear of rejection by God. Rick Warren, he was the author of The Purpose Driven Life. I highly recommend it to you. Great book. You can get it on Amazon. He's the, the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, 29,000 people. But he says this in, his, in the last chapter of the book. He makes this statement. He says, as the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, he said, I've been at the bedside of some of America's greatest entrepreneurs, greatest sports heroes and people like that. He said, and in their last moments, not one person has ever turned to me and said, Pastor, please 
check my stocks and shares. <laughs> Pastor, check my popularity ratings. Check my Facebook likes. <laughs> or whatever the alternative may be. No one cares about those things. Those moments bring sharply into view what life is really all about. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Everyone instinctively knows when they hear the gospel that what they're hearing is the truth. They know it. The Bible says in Romans 1 that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But they know what they're hearing is the truth. All of them call out, Pastor, please phone my wife, my children. And then he says, comes the big question. Every single one asks, Pastor, what's going to happen to me? Is everything going to be all right? Somehow at that moment, there's an awareness. There is more beyond the grave. I just, you know, some of you may be familiar with the life story of George Harrison of the Beatles. I'm closing with us. George Harrison, his life story, he says this, you get to the last few pages. And he makes this statement. He said, I've had everything the world could ever give me. All the wealth, all the money, and all the women. He said, but here I am with five minutes left of my life, as the doctor says. And I'm haunted by the three questions that have followed me all my life. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Can I say that the answer to those three questions are all found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You discover your identity when you come to know Jesus. You discover why you're here, your purpose. And you know for certain where you're going. I look forward to that day when I see him face to face. I know I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good enough, I'm certainly not. But because he is. And he's given me his righteousness as a gift. It is a gift, you have to receive it. And it, it begins and continues your relationship with God all the way through into eternity. But I want you to be very real with me this morning. As we wrap up, we're going to pray a prayer. And this prayer is a prayer to give your life to Christ. It may be for you a very first time that you've ever prayed and asked Jesus to forgive your sins, to come into your heart and save you for eternity. It may be actually that you know, maybe you prayed a prayer years ago, but you've not been living right. And actually, deep on the inside, you know you need to come back to Jesus with all your heart. And he's here for you with open arms. Come back to the Father. He loves you today. And he's calling you to himself. So can we just for a few moments, just bow our heads and close our eyes. Try and forget about everyone else around you. And seriously think about where your life is headed. Think about where you would go if your heart stopped beating right now. God forbid, I pray everyone here has a long and happy life, but even more so that you know Jesus and that you will spend eternity with him. So right now we're going to pray a prayer. I prayed this prayer when I gave my life to Christ and Jesus changed my life. He'll do the same for you. It's a prayer straight out of the Bible. God delights to answer it. As I say the words line by line, repeat them. The Bible says you must believe in your heart. God, raise Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. I'll leave a bit of space, line by line, for you to repeat the words. Just say them and mean them in your heart as you do. Let's say this together. Lord Jesus, that's right, everybody say it. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. 
that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe in you, and I'm sorry for my sins. I turn away from them to follow you, and I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Change me deep on the inside. Make heaven my home and God my Father. Thank you for hearing my prayer and saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look, no other looking around this moment. Let me just say, Jesus said also, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you don't confess me before people, neither will I confess you before the Father. Giving our lives to Christ is personal in that we're the only ones who can do it. But it's also public in that we have to tell someone else that we're a follower of Christ now. And one of the ways that we can start that is by this, sticking our hand up and saying, yes, that's me. I'm now a follower of Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count down to three, from three to zero. And when I get to zero, if you, all right, if you pray that prayer as a first time or you prayed it as a recommitment to the Lord, I want you just to do this. All right. When I get down to zero, that's your signal to raise it up. Here we go. Three, two, one, zero. Just raise it up right there. Okay. Many hands this morning. Bless you. Wonderful. You can put your hands down again. That's great. Now, I just want to ask every one of you, if you raise your hand right now, I want you just to shout out to me and say from now on, we're going to start over here. If you raise your hand, just shout out to me. You shout it or just say it. From this day forward, I'm a follower of Christ. Here we go. This over here first. Amen. This side here. So you can all say it together. From this day forward, I'm a follower of Christ. These guys over here from... Great. And over here. That's wonderful. The Lord has heard it. We have heard it. And bear witness to your testimony. And Jesus declares your name before the Father. You are his. I want to encourage you now to get baptized if you haven't been already. Some of you will have been a recommitment. Maybe for others a first time. Is there anyone here this was a first time for you? Can you put your hand up again? God bless you, love. Anybody else? God bless you, dear. Tremendous. Anybody else? First time? Take your courage in your hands. All right. Was it? Okay. Bless you. That's brilliant. Okay. Those who are first time particularly, can I really encourage you to come and see the pastors here, the leadership team. That'd be fantastic. Before you leave today, and let me encourage you to get baptized in, in water and really get stuck into the life of the church. You're so welcome. You've just joined the greatest family that exists in the universe. Uh, it's tremendous. All right. Lord bless you richly. Look, I'm going to hand back to the leadership, but thank you for your time this morning. It's been a huge privilege to be with you, and the Lord bless you real good. God bless now.